Welcome to the NAFSA International Educator Podcast, the official voice of International Educator Magazine, brought to you by NAFSA, Association for International Educators. I'm Charlotte West, contributing writer and editor to NAFSA's International Educator Magazine. Welcome to the podcast. In this episode, I talk to senior international education leaders about how cross-training promotes the sustainability of the international office. When William Brewstein arrived as senior international officer at West Virginia University in 2016, he frequently heard that students and faculty were dissatisfied when they visited the Global Affairs Office with questions about visas or study abroad programs. It was about three or four years ago, right after I arrived at West Virginia University, and I started anecdotally hearing from uh, faculty and from international students uh, their unhappiness with the fact that when they came into the building where our office is located and they'd see someone there working, they would ask a question maybe about an I-20 form or about education abroad and the person would respond, well, I don't know, that's not my area. I don't know anything about it. Um, uh, You can come back later or you'll have to go to the other room to check with those people. And oftentimes that we realized that wasn't the message we wanted to send to our students and to faculty. You know, we're not that big of an operation that um, people who work in education abroad couldn't meet their colleagues in international students and dollar services. The disconnect between international student services and education abroad was a natural result of two teams that had long worked independently. They were only brought together when Brewstein consolidated all of WVU's international activities under the Office of Global Affairs. To remedy the problem and promote collaboration, he instituted cross-training across areas of expertise. Brewstein says that cross-training gives staff the opportunity to understand the basics of their colleagues' jobs. The work they've done over the past four years has allowed WVU's Global Affairs Office to better respond to the pandemic. Because we've done this cross-training and this shadowing for the fact that if it comes to future uh, rescissions or, or, or need to uh, reduce staff or people might uh, retire or they might leave, um, that we have people who can step in now, who have those types of skills and, and, and confidence to do that. So we're in a very good position for that. And I think, again, my main point is that it's because we recognized the problem years ago, we put a plan in to address it, and now we're set up to be able to move forward. At a time when many institutions face both budget cuts and staff reductions, international education leaders have had to ask their teams to take on new responsibilities, shift workloads, and increase flexibility. Cross-training provides an important professional development opportunity for international educators. It also promotes efficiency in making the best use of resources. Jennifer Evanuick, Executive Director of Global Engagement at Central Michigan University, says that cross-training breaks down silos within the international office. It also makes international efforts on campus more sustainable. But if you're so stuck in your, you know, your day-to-day work and your silo, you might not even see how your work relates to the person who sits next to you, um, let alone be able to be responsive to what's going on you know, at your institutions. To help bridge the gap between international student services and education abroad at WVU, Brewstein began to find ways for staff to learn about each other's jobs. So one of the first things we did, Charlotte, is that at our monthly 
faculty, uh, staff meetings, we would have an individual who, let's say, worked in the immigration or international student scholar services, spend an hour with a presentation to all about what her or his job was entailed, taking people through that. And then the next meeting, we'd have somebody, let's say, from the education abroad office or from sponsored students, and so that people would start to get a sense of who's who. And we did social activities too, so they would start getting to know each other on a, on a personal level. It wouldn't feel uncomfortable coming to the other and asking a question. And so then we started the shadowing that uh, we allowed some people in one division to shadow for a week, people in the other division. And this started really making a major change in the operation where people could then answer questions. Sure, they might not be able to delve deeply in the question that an international student or student interest in study abroad had, but they could answer you know, the preliminary questions and knew exactly whom to address to direct this person to. Anthony Pinder, Senior International Officer at Emerson College in Boston, has also created opportunities where staff lead learning opportunities and identify priorities within the Office of Global Engagement. We have a retreat coming up, and I and, and part of the homework assignment was for every single director, start doing a, a, a research lit review of the different kinds of things that people, what are the COVID conversations people are having now in your particular area? What do you like from what you're reading that's new? And, and, and what do you think is, is most applicable for us at IGE? And then we're just going to talk about it as a team of directors. Another strategy for cross-training is assigning people to work on project teams across divisions, says Luchin Lee, Director of Global Engagement at Goucher College. Intentional collaboration between departments breaks down institutional silos and participants learn about their colleagues' expertise in the process. Lee recently convened a committee to work on international enrollment strategies. Well, this training, again, doesn't have to be uh, in a workshop uh, format. The training is called the cross-training as an in-house training because you already have existing uh, skill sets among colleagues and staff members is to put the team together so they work together and they learn from each other without even knowing it. For example, the recruiting team that we recently created and then expanded and people are learning from each other about uh, designing marketing material for international students. They use the wordsmithing skill sets in another person's uh, you know, background or uh, leverage another person, our previous international recruiter's uh, international connection, his knowledge of the markets, for example. So each one has a unique skill sets and sometimes I call it a hidden gem that just need to be identified and shared. And I think a team is just a platform for sharing. So this way, and very quietly, but ably, each one will learn from each other and get their skill sets at what I call in a comprehensive uh, portfolio for the unit or for the office. So I think this is the most uh, feasible and localized and also uh, economic cross-training practice. Just as Bruce Stein wanted to ensure students could get answers to a variety of questions when they stepped into WVU's Global Engagement Office, other institutions realized that students prefer to have a single point of contact for information. Cross-trained staff can create a better experience, especially for prospective students. At Boston University, the International Admissions and Recruitment Team works closely with the International Students and Scholars Office. Here's what International Admissions Director Ann Corovo has to say. The, the ISSO office and our office have been 
just constantly talking about what it is we need to make this happen and then trying to, you know, we report to different provosts. We are different offices. We, I mean, same provost, but different lines to the provost. And so being able to offer cross-training so that we could best serve the students, right? So making sure that in our meetings that we're talking about what each of us is doing and how we're working collaboratively so that we can both speak to this from an outfacing perspective to the students who are coming in. At Grinnell College in Iowa, Senior International Officer Kate Patch wanted to cross-train employees to be able to step in if someone is out of the office. For us, I want each staff member to know what everyone else is doing in a broad sense, in a general sense. But like many small offices, we've always had to step in if someone's on vacation or on leave. You need to know how to be able to step in and help facilitate and make things run. One area where Patch has done significant cross-training is in international health and safety. Once students had been evacuated from programs abroad in the spring, she realized they needed to collect data on health and safety in countries where partners and providers were operating. As the evacs slowed down and all of our students were back home and accounted for, um, it was clear to me early on that in order to figure out when would we be ready to go back up and running and when would we feel as an institution it was safe to send students, we had to do a lot of data collection and work on health and safety. So previously, um, this really fell under my role uh, and under my purview. But our assistant director of off-campus study, I brought her on board and cross-trained her in all of the protocols we normally did. How do we communicate? How do we mitigate risk? Looking at the travel warning system, the CD system. We also partnered, we have a data inquiry and social analysis lab uh, that we, data analysis, socially inquiry lab that we partnered with. And so for two months this summer, we really put together um, a pretty comprehensive data project from March until now. We collected data on which countries were open, which programs were open, what were the cases. So we had the qualitative from John Hopkins, and then we had our study broad partner data. So I cross-trained her on how to analyze the data, how to put the data together visually, and how to communicate that with partners. So um, the goal is now she is the, the second backup for health and safety and eventually um, would maybe go to her permanently. Most international offices have been asked to do more with less for years, and the pandemic has only exacerbated budget cuts. Central Michigan faced a significant budget reduction this year, which impacted the staffing of its Office of Global Engagement. Vanuick says that in the face of reduced hours and staff layoffs. We don't want to have the appearance of decreased service to our stakeholders, but in reality, we can't do everything that we were doing. So then I had to, I put out there like here, here's, here are the goals that we're committing to for this, this year. And here's how they relate to our longer term strategic goals. And so then that helps sort of inform then what do we do um, with, with our staff that we still have, right? Evanuik says that because the processing of I-20s was moved to international admissions and recruitment, she was able to enlist a staff member who had previously been working with international students to help with study abroad advising and managing the office's social media. Evanuik says that narrow areas of expertise might not be the best fit for cross-training. What you don't want is to then create redundancies where you have to have multiple people. Let's say you're talking about like J advising. We don't have enough J scholars that I, I personally do not think it would make sense <laughs> to have two of our staff have to be continuously staying up to date on, on J, like the specifics of J's, because we just don't have enough. We have maybe like 40 a year. Um, whereas I could see with study abroad, 
um, you know, because there are increasing numbers. And we saw this like last last year before COVID, um, I wanted others to be involved with the study abroad fair, because you think about like how many students are coming with like 800 students coming, asking all these different questions, everyone's running around, you know, and you couldn't just like find the advisor who could answer that specific question. So I was like, what if we just have the staff from across the office learn the basics, right? Like, where do I go for more information? How do I apply? Like, you just, just the basic stuff to get somebody on their way and then know where the boundary is of like, okay, that's too much detail. I'm going to have to connect you, you know, with a one-on-one appointment with the, the person who is the expert in that. Um, and I actually, I think a side benefit of that too, is that it kind of, you know, I don't, you probably have, have seen this in, in, you know, the coverage of the stories that you do, but there tends to be these silos between ISSS and study abroad. So I think it helps a lot in terms of like opening eyes as to what that other side of the office is like. Um, and so that that's at least how I've done it in my office. Before she reassigned responsibilities in her office at Central Michigan, Evanuet consulted with the directors of the different units to get input about their team members' strengths. So you kind of have to rely on what do you know about your staff members? Um, you know, I did talk to the directors um, before the rest of the staff knew this. So I was able to, you know, between what I knew and what the directors knew about their own needs and, you know, their staff strengths, it was like, okay, I think this particular person would be a good fit for that. Um, And then I did have a conversation, you know, with that individual before anybody else to say, okay, here are the types of things. Um, And I was just being really honest, like, you know, this is, kind of an experiment, you know, and um, I'm going to be flexible. I need you to be flexible, but I also need you to be honest with me about what are your strengths? What are your goals? You know, cause like you can really see this as a professional development opportunity to learn something new. Um, and so I was glad that like she did, you know, that what I had thought and what I, what I knew <laughs> was actually correct. After I had that conversation with her, um, she affirmed that some of those things that I had mentioned would be of interest to her or that aligned with her skills. At Goucher, Lee sends out a survey to staff members once a year to take stock of what skills they want to develop. Right after I get to know the staff individually, uh, I send a survey to uh, our individual staff members so, uh, for example, to help them identify what they enjoyed the most in the past year and what they found uh, they are most passionate about in the past year and what they uh, liked the least in what they did. So uh, identify what they enjoy doing the most and also ask the question, what they wish that they, they want to do or they could have done in other areas or they want to uh, enhance their skill sets. That provides the baseline and it's basic knowledge for me to understand what each staff member is interested in and is able to do. So then you shuffle the cards, like, you know, where is the need and who can do what? So I think this is a, this is a great uh, practice. Lee also suggests that senior leaders are realistic about workloads when reassigning duties. The lesson I learned the most is you don't want to uh, – overburn your staff and put the wrong uh, responsibility to the, to the wrong person. Uh, so you want to match uh, accurately and with, uh, with excitement rather than designate without uh, consulting the staff because this is a very often additional work people pick up and assume during challenging time. And that's why we describe the scenario. This is mostly uh, challenging time. So uh, Overburning, overloading uh, staff can be an often a mistake. 
Besides its main campus in Southern California, Pepperdine University operates seven study centers in other countries and a location in Washington, D.C. Collectively, the centers employ 40 staff and 40 faculty worldwide. Since all study abroad for fall 2020 has been suspended, the International Office at Pepperdine has had to figure out ways to utilize the skill sets of its staff and faculty as they wait for normal programming to resume. Here's Beth Lau, Executive Director of International Programs. And so we had to get really creative, to be honest. It was really challenging. We wanted to protect as many families as we could while still being um, good stewards of the university's resources during such a challenging time. So there were several spots where we were able to find really good synergies that helped us support our staff and faculty abroad and domestically while still meeting the needs of the university. Um, So for instance, the admissions office used a lot of our internationally based staff to reach out to prospective international students and help understand sort of what their circumstances were and what their plans were for the fall. Um, That had a lot of linguistic benefits and just practical benefits with time zones, of course. We also use some of our staff abroad to help with translation services. So we are located in Los Angeles County, which is a highly diverse area of the United States. And a lot of our signage and a lot of our communications have to go out in more than one language. So for instance, our staff in uh, Buenos Aires in Argentina, they translated a number of materials into Spanish for our HR department to help prevent us from having to to pay that out to an external party. Um, Academically, we also did a lot of reallocation of duties. That was probably one of the more effective strategies we used. Like a lot of institutions, Pepperdine University is is online this fall which meant that we had to move our classes from an in-person format to an online format. It's also important to realize that because we have such high levels of participation in study abroad programs, that meant we had to create course sections that we didn't plan to offer here in Malibu to begin with. And so one of the things we did was we worked with the different academic divisions to actually use our internationally based faculty to teach some of those courses. And we've got, right now we've got over 20 online courses that are being taught through Malibu, but are actually being taught by instructors abroad. And so that was one of the more successful things that we were able to do um, to leverage our workforce during this sort of weird time. At Emerson, Pinder has drawn on his study abroad staff to help with programming for international students who started with partners abroad in fall 2020. Typically, the college's education abroad staff would be doing reentry program for return study abroad students, but now they'll be helping the cohort of international students who started abroad get used to the Boston campus. Typically, 100 students studying abroad is primarily an education abroad office concern. They're just off for a semester and they come back and, and, and whatever. So pre-COVID, there wasn't a whole lot of collaboration in terms of how we integrate 100 people back into the community. They just off were off studying abroad. Of course, we do some re-entry programming from an education abroad lens, but here's a pandemic that happened. Right. We have 100 Chinese students who were expecting to come back to Boston or come to Boston for the first time that have just spent either their freshman semester at some foreign institution on an Emerson branded initiative. Um, But still, they don't know Emerson yet. They just spent 
eight, 13 weeks at some other institution. So we, again, we need the academic departments. We need student advising. Um, we need our English language learning team to make sure, hey, these are 100 Chinese students who are predominantly the constituents and the, and the, um, the end user of all of our ESL services on a campus. How do we know since they've been at China um, that their proficiency is, is at a point, right? Because after 13 weeks, of, if they were in Boston, we would have a sense. We would have done some other type of EL, um, L class assessment to know if they can be mainstreamed back into normal credit bearing classes. So it, is, it really becomes as much as it's, a, it's a, an awareness builder, it is a cross-trained piece too. At Pepperdine, Lowe says she had to actively seek out new opportunities where her team could fill in by matching the skills of her staff with the needs of the institution. Yeah, and I think one of, I mean, for those of us who sit in leadership positions, I think one of the strategies to getting through this is that while there will be some training, the truth is our faculty and staff worldwide have a number of skills that we don't even identify as skills sometimes. And so it's not just cross-training, it's recognizing the value and the skill and the needs of different stakeholders and matching those up in a way that's actually very valuable both to the international education offices and to the institution at large. And it's great professional development for the folks overseas as well. I had to go find these roles. No one came to me and said, hey, do you have anybody who can do this? I had to be aggressively going out and looking for gaps that needed to be filled. And so I think I would say that we, we have to be proactive much more than reactive. And it's a hard line to walk because, you know, I think as international educators, we're in a really tough spot. On the one hand, we may not have students abroad right now, but all of the things we do in many cases, we do them almost a year in advance. So we're not focused on the current year. We're, we're trying to set things up for next year. And yet there's sort of a perception that nothing, there's nothing for us to do. And so it's, it's, we're walking a very fine line. And I think if, if we are more proactive in finding the needs that our universities don't even realize they have, we have a little bit more control over how those requests fit within the, the reality of our workloads. And also it opens up opportunities that are simply not going to be extended. We have to go looking for them. At its core, cross-training is an opportunity for both individuals and institutions. Framing it as such is the best way to get everyone involved on board, especially staff members who have already been stretched thin during the pandemic. Corey Blackmar, Associate Director of Internationalization Initiatives at Emerson, puts it this way. Those opportunities to do cross-training, they only help to both broaden the, the view of, of whoever is being cross-trained into other areas that are outside of their, their area of expertise. From a leadership perspective, I think, I think you need to look at it as, as, as personal skill building. I mean, especially, especially if you are focused on a career in higher ed uh, in general, you need to learn all the aspects of it, of higher education because it's only going to help inform your lens of expertise. Um, so like, for example, you know, I, I personally come into this field with a really narrow focus in international education. I hadn't, I hadn't worked in other areas of higher education um, 
and I, yeah, I'd never been employed full time in another, in another aspect of higher ed that's outside of study abroad, international education. Um, but I'm, I'm finding, you know, a lot of value right now in being so integrated in other processes um, that, you know, that impact international ed versus, you know, versus other areas too. Thank you for joining us for this edition of NAFSA International Educator Podcast. Please visit nafsa.org to read more from International Educator Magazine and to join us as a member of NAFSA. Together we can make a better world.